Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Angel Insights, brought to you by Syndicate Room. Angel Insights will take you inside the world of the most prominent angel investors to reveal their tactics, strategies and investment philosophy. Which is why I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Krause on the show today. Elizabeth is co-founder and CSO at Merger Lane, who discovers, accelerates and invests in exceptional women and the companies they run. Elizabeth has enjoyed an immense career, having sat on both sides of the table as a founder and now an angel, and her portfolio currently consists of over 150 companies. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Elizabeth Krause. Elizabeth, welcome to the first ever episode of Angel Insights. Can you start us off by telling us a little about your background and how you made your move into the investing world? Sure. So I had an internet business called My You Search. It was like eHarmony, but it matched students to colleges and colleges to students. And I ran that for about five years. And I've always been really passionate about proving that it's possible to make an impact without sacrificing a financial return. So that company was built as a social entrepreneurship, so a percentage of our profits that uh, went to running the company also went to providing scholarships for the students that used our services. And I learned so much in that process. And when I decided to leave that company after about five years, I was in a position where I had a little bit of money from the company. Uh, My husband had a good job. And I still really wanted to make an impact while not sacrificing a financial return. So I started looking at ways to learn what to share what I had learned as an entrepreneur with companies that were going to make an impact as well as a financial return and started making small investments in those companies and figured out pretty quickly that angel investing can be pretty complicated. And then when you layer that second criteria of impact, it it adds even more complexity. Absolutely. So how did you source those original deals then? You started off with that initial desire to go into the industry. Where, where then? What did you do? Well, so when I figured out that this was pretty complicated, I wanted a group of investors to learn from and to help source deals from. So I actually ended up building my own angel group called the Impact Angel Group that was based in Boulder, Colorado, and ran that uh, to the point where we had about 50 members. And then last year, that became part of a national organization called Investor Circle. And so I sourced my deals from the network that I built from that. And then now you get a lot of deal flow from Investor Circle as well. Would you say then you're much more comfortable investing in a group? You know, it's, it's funny. So at first, yes, because I was new and just really felt like I needed to learn from people. Um, But, you know, I've looked at about 2,500 companies now, and so I'm getting a lot more confident on my own. But now I have an an interesting structure. So So I make a lot of personal investments, and I'm an active member of Investor Circle. But in this process of looking at these 2,500 companies, I realized that while there weren't very many women that were looking for investment capital, that some of my best investments were in women-led companies. And a woman that I had been investing with, Sue Heilbrunner, was experiencing some of the same things. And she and I would joke about the fact that we were often the only women at the start 
startup events that we went to. And she came to me about a year ago and said, hey, I'd like to start an accelerator for uh, companies with at least one woman in leadership. And I said, no way. And the reason for that was because I've been pretty successful in business. I, you know, really enjoy working with men, didn't want to alienate myself from the network of, of, to be honest, mostly men that I had built over the years. And luckily, she's a former federal prosecutor, so she's very persuasive. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, very persuasive. So she said, just float the idea to some of the investors that you've been working with and see what they think. So I did, and the response was overwhelmingly positive, uh, both because I think people really see investing in women as an opportunity to create a return, um, and also because I think that my partner Sue and I have built a reputation on focusing on the business aspect of companies, not just the impact of what we're doing. And so they felt like that combination was going to be great for this. So anyway, long, long story short, uh, we started an accelerator about a year ago called Merge Lane. And uh, our first class graduated in April. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It went extremely well. And so now, in addition to the network of investors that I had from the angel group that I had built, we have several hundred investors that work with us as well as mentors and industry experts in in Merge Lane. Um, And that's one of the things that I think is most interesting about accelerator programs is that, you know, it's great deal flow for investors, but then there's all these people that are matched with these companies that come into the accelerators that can give you insight about the company. So for instance, you know, one of the companies in our program is is focusing on the commercial um, construction industry. And I don't really know much about that at all. But many of our mentors are huge experts in that area. So it's, it's really nice to be able to draw on a network like that. So in your network, what would you say the the skills you look for are, would you say there are some clearly definable skills like good sector knowledge, good relationship to the founders that are important to have within your network of investors? Yeah, I think, um, you know, really having a spectrum is important. So I like to have people who are just really experienced investors. So people who have been in venture capital for 20, 30 years are always helpful because they've seen just about everything that can go wrong and and why. Um, Then it's important to have some people with industry expertise. And I think one of the most important things is having people that really understand what it takes to be one of those very few companies that can make it and have a successful exit as a startup. So I love having entrepreneurs who are either in the process of building a company or have built successful companies in the past to draw from their experience. Absolutely. And you said about your class that just graduated uh, April this year, I think you said. But before you, when you were coming to selecting which companies, you, I'm sure you engaged in kind of due diligence to check them out. Um, What what was involved in your due diligence? What metrics do you look at specifically? Um, And are there any red flags for you? Yes. So uh, really the most important thing is the team. And, And a lot of investors say that, and it's hard to articulate what that means. Um, for, for me, I, I start with seven very simple questions. So 
Did I understand the company's value proposition within five minutes of talking to them? Okay. Are they deeply passionate about their business? And did their passion about their business get me excited about their business? Do I trust their ethics without question? Am I inspired every time that I meet with the team? Do I view a meeting with the company as a privilege rather than a chore? If the tables were turned, would I want the team to invest in my company? And then lastly, do I admire and respect the team members enough that I would want them to be board members or advisors for my own company? Wow. And That's a specific criteria. Yeah, pretty specific <laughs> criteria. But, you know, I when I first started angel investing, I had this very scientific process that I would go through all this market research and financial analysis and, and, uh, do a lot of due diligence on paper and, um, realize that sometimes things that look really good on paper aren't as good as they seem. Absolutely. And a lot of times that is because of the team that's going to execute them. So, I just decided, I looked back at my portfolio because now I've made about 40 investments on my own and then I've invested in some funds and I invested in the Foundry Group's Angel List Syndicate. So it's getting pretty close to 150 companies. So I looked back on my portfolio and you know, looked at the ones that didn't go as hot as I had thought they were going to and asked myself honestly if I could have answered yes to all those questions. And the answer was always no. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And and you said about the team then, does that mean you would be more concerned about investing in first time founders? Great question. So, uh, there's a successful entrepreneur named Jimmy Colano, and he once told me that he only invests in first-time founders, and the reason for that is because he and his partner were so successful because they were too naive to understand what they were actually able to do was completely impossible. And so I always try to remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Slightly more difficult when it's your money. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So... Um, you know, I, I, I don't have first, I don't have it as a criteria that the entrepreneurs need to be successful, uh, but I do definitely consider it. So in our first merge lane class, we have about half and half entrepreneurs who have been successful in the past and first time entrepreneurs. And I think if it's a first time entrepreneur, I tend to look for more traction in the business. So a lot of the companies that we took for Merge Lane already had material revenue, um, had already raised significant capital for their business. But one of the companies in particular that we took was a company called Idacity. And the founder uh, had, was a previous founder of a company called Rivet Software. And they had a very successful exit. And the company was really early stage when we took them in Merge Lane, but we made a bet based on the strength of Emily and then her also amazing partner, Christine. Do you have then a preferred stage then that you really love to go in on? Um, so I think it, it all depends on the factors, like I mentioned. If, if it's a first-time founder and if it's a company that doesn't have a significant amount of intellectual property, then I like to see 
you know, a half a million in sales or so. Yeah. Um, but, but I've learned in the process that some of the best opportunities are capitalized on when it's a really, really strong founder who's at the pretty early stage that needs somebody to take a chance on them. Because once a founder like that starts to get traction, everybody wants to come in and the valuations just keep climbing and climbing. And then so I'd like to have a mix. And then how do you value the companies? I mean, is, is the revenue a big part of your valuation? So again, it depends because, you know, a lot, some of the companies that I've invested in don't have any revenue. And, and, uh, I think, there's just kind of this general rule with early stage companies that don't have a lot of, uh, don't have material revenue um, that, that based on market conditions, that there's a reasonable valuation. So this is a big topic of discussion right now because we're in an entrepreneur's market with climbing valuations. But um, in Colorado, we don't see valuations as high as Silicon Valley. So our, uh, to, sweet spot is somewhere between 1.5 and $5 million valuations. And so if there's a, an early stage company that has a really strong team that has some previous successes, but no revenue, then I might, you know, be more in the three to five range. Um, if not, then, then we're going to look at, at more of the 1.5 to two range. And you said that you had 150 companies potentially that you've worked with or in your portfolio. So I'm sure you've worked with then many entrepreneurs. And do you have any success, any commonalities to the successful ones? Any attributes that all of them, not all of them, but the majority of them had that you think were fundamental to their success? So this came up the other day, and and there's a couple different criteria. But one thing that I think is pretty interesting is... uh, uh, one of our MergeLane investors was asking me how frequently the companies send their investors updates. And I said that I've learned over the years that companies that understand the value of updating their investors and leveraging their investors tend to send updates once a month, at least once a quarter as af- after the investment is made. Um, companies that don't tend to not update their <laughs> investors very often. It's not and, great. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think that that is just one, one small sliver of information that can be really helpful you know, how, how well do they communicate with prospective and current investors and do they leverage the, the network that their investors have to improve their business? And when I looked back on my portfolio on the companies that have been successful, all of those entrepreneurs had updated their investors at, at least every other month. That's absolutely, I think, keeping in contact is crucial. And and then which markets are you most interested in? Do you find yourself quite sector-specific, or do you kind of uh, move around the markets quite a lot? So I don't have a particular market focus, but I look for markets that are inefficient and really, really big and growing. And I look for market solutions that can address a real pain point that customers are actually willing to pay for. So an example of this is the environmental permitting industry. Okay. One of our 
recent investments through MergeLane, Mapistry is addressing this market. So Mapistry is like TurboTax for environmental permits that rely heavily on maps such as stormwater permits. And believe it or not, Mapistry's addressable market for stormwater permits alone is expected to grow to $4 billion by 2020. Wow. Yeah. But what makes this market more interesting is the fact that their customers are actually willing to pay for a solution and their users are tech savvy engineers who will actually use the software. So I love markets like that. Okay. Uh, And then if it's okay with you, do you mind if we move into a lightning round? Not at all. Okay. So what's, what's your favorite angel investing resource, book, podcast, blog, um, that's really helped you develop? So I have to say, in prep for this, I was listening to the 20-Minute VC, and I'm quite impressed with your podcast, so I would highly recommend that. Well, thank you very much. I, I promise <laughs> I did not pay Elizabeth to say that. That is purely off your own back, but I very much appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> you did not pay me to say that. Um, and I re- read uh, Feld.com very frequently, which is you probably know Brad Feld is a fairly famous uh, venture capitalist, and I just think he has really good insight on his blog. Absolutely. I think he's going to be rather happy with Fitbit's recent uh, IPO, isn't he? With the I think so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll hear the champagne popping. Um, and then what's the hardest, most challenging aspect for you of angel investing? Uh, hands down, it is saying no. So... I have to say no to 99% of the opportunities that I see, and it's heartbreaking because it's very rare that I don't meet an inspiring and interesting entrepreneur, and you know they have their hopes and dreams wrapped up in their business. And when I have so to say excited. no, so <laughs> yeah. Do you do you provide feedback when saying no? I try to as much as possible, uh, but to be honest, I, you know, I get five to ten investment opportunities a day. A so day. It just a day, yeah. Wow. That, that's that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of pitches to go through. <laughs> it is a lot of pitches to go through, and so unfortunately, I I just can't give feedback to all those entrepreneurs. Absolutely, and then finally, your most recent investment and why you said yes. Great. So the most recent investment that I made is through the Merge Lane Fund in a company called Sugarwish. And Sugarwish is revolutionizing the gift giving industry by allowing the receiver of the gift to choose exactly what they want. So as a gift giver, you go to sugarwish.com, you send a Sugarwish, and your gift recipient receives a super creative e-gift card asking them to choose their gift. And then, voila, this beautiful box arrives at their door with exactly what they want. And Sugar Wish started with candy, but has recently added some savor wish, savory items um, and could easily branch out into many different gift options. So you never and have to have an unwanted gift again. Exactly. That exactly. Perfect. So we made this investment because the team is smart, scrappy, and incredibly tenacious. But more importantly, the team has an incredible, incredible talent for creating a customer experience. And MergeLine has sent Sugar Wishes to hundreds of people, and the feedback is always tremendous. And then Sugar Wish has quite a bit of traction in the corporate gift-giving market, and they consistently deliver an experience that companies can be proud of. And, you know... A lot of companies could 
offer this option to allow the gift recipient to choose their gift. Absolutely. But not a lot of companies can offer the customer experience that they've been able to figure out and their ability to scale that is pretty impressive. So that's why we're most excited about it. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the first episode of Angel Insights. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Oh, thank you so much. Now, if you enjoyed the first episode of Angel Insights brought to you by Syndicate Room, we would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes for us. And we look so forward to seeing you in the next episode.